Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, and we are three-quarters athletic. John Vogel's our guest today. We're going to talk about the NHL trade deadline, and he's joining our usual panel of Matthew Fairburn, who covers the bills for The Athletic, and Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Global Systems. The Unathletic. The unathletic, probably maybe the most athletic of the three of the four of us. I, you know, oh, without a doubt. who's to say, <laughs> are you still playing basketball, Jonah? Uh, no, not because of, you know, pandemic conditions, but I'll play again someday, hopefully. And when's the last time uh, Matthew and John have been on the ice? It was a week before it was like the week leading up to the pandemic, shutting the world down. You were there. You witnessed the last time. I was on the ice anyways. I don't know about John. I would not. As soon as you mentioned that, that would also be the same time or my last time also. Yeah. I heckled uh, Matthew Fairburn while he was in goal. I was rooting for his team, but I was there as a fan. I bought the ticket. I earned the right. <laughs> and uh, Chris Baker and I and Matthew's own wife uh, heckled him from behind, uh, behind the goal. We had a good held time. On. Held on for a win, barely. Was, I'm going to need uh, Jim Fink from Buffalo Business First to confirm whether Matthew has really been following all these rules. That's his beat. That's true. That's true. He, I, I believe they've been uh, playing at some point. I, I think so, yeah. I think they still. Because I was asked to play at one point over the summer, but I don't know. A hockey rink doesn't seem like – a hockey locker room in particular didn't seem like the wisest place to be, to be hanging out. Um, and so my athletic pursuits have been limited to the golf course. Thinking of goaltender pads makes me break out in hives. <laughs> I can actually smell them right now. And it's been a long time since I've covered the NHL on a regular basis, but I can smell a hockey locker room just by thinking about it. Just the bacteria and funk. Yes, indeed. I don't, know if good. I don't know if that's good or bad for the virus. The virus would be like the weakest of the bacteria <laughs> in the locker room or, or if it would, you know, find friends among the other I don't think the Vancouver the Canucks would agree with that theory. That's true. Yeah, that's it true. seems as though hockey equipment is no match for the coronavirus. Yes. And Matt, if you want to play again, I don't think the media league is the way to go. I think the Rochester Amherst are actually <laughs> – for another goalie since it's every true. other day. Yeah, every other day, like, there's a PTO guy. Yeah. 
<laughs> it was looking like I could perhaps get on some sort of list and get a call up at some point for a while. If ever there was a time, this would be it as they're so limited to who can, who can play. I've got one vaccine. So let whoever know needs to know, know that I'm here and ready to, ready to serve. Somewhere Tom Askey is doing deep knee bends in his driveway in Tonawanda. Speaking of uh, hockey transactions, we had John Vogel on to talk about the NHL trade deadline. And, um, you know, we'll set the stage uh, for those who haven't been paying attention. But uh, the Sabres gave up a lot of players, a lot of name recognition, received some middling draft picks in return, plus a player who shares a name with a Norwegian songstress. No, Icelandic. I'm sorry. Bjork is Icelandic uh, songstress. Uh, how would you assess the job that Kevin Adams did uh, over the weekend and through Monday's trade deadline, John? I think overall, not bad. Um, we'll like if it were just the Taylor Hall trade, then maybe we'd have a different grade, but we'll look at the overall package for a minute and then, then move on to the Taylor Hall one. But overall, he got rid of four pending UFAs. He got rid of uh, Jonas Johansson, the goalie who wasn't doing anything here. Eric Stahl, veteran center who wasn't doing anything here. Brandon Montour, who was in, on a part of an uh, overstaffed defense corps. Um, and then they got rid of Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar over the weekend. But they got rid of four guys who weren't part of the future anyway. Uh, they brought in uh, Anders Bjork, who you referenced. And then they got a second round pick, two third round picks, a fifth round pick and a sixth round pick, which gives them 10 draft picks this year. Now, obviously the first, the next question becomes if they don't have much of a scouting staff, what good are those 10 draft picks going to do? But that's something that we'll see heading into the draft in July, but uh, at least, at least they bulked that up. They only had five picks and they doubled their output. They now have five picks in the first three rounds. So that's, that's something. Um, and that's mostly for guys who weren't coming back anyway. Yeah, five picks in the first three rounds is probably generous wording because <laughs> they're, you know, as we know, by looking at the Sabres roster, which is loaded with first round picks uh, and the number of first round picks that you see skating around the American Hockey League or over in Europe or whatever, you know, the, the picks in, in hockey, it's not and it's a tricky discussion to have in Western New York, too, for for. Uh, for fans that um, slalom back and forth between their fandoms of the Bills and the Sabres, and not to say you're not good fans, but I think sometimes you get so worked up by how good the Bills are doing and want to apply it to the hockey team and vice versa. Um, but NHL draft picks just don't work the same as NFL draft picks. And a third rounder is a second day pick in the NFL with the big, you know, whatever third Third round pick is going to make your team right out of training camp in the NFL. What's a third round pick in the NHL, John? Recently, um, yeah, I mean, if it if it's if he makes the league at all, it's going to be in four or five years. Um, I'm looking back in 2019. They drafted goalie Eric Portillo. Um, he's just a freshman at Michigan, so he's not ready. Um, Oscar Laxanen, they drafted in 2017, so that's four years ago now. He's in his first season with Rochester. He's not ready to play in the NHL yet. Um, 
2016, they had two third round picks, Cliff Poo and Casey Fitzgerald. Neither have played in the NHL. So yeah, I mean, you're right. Third, third round is a, uh, Probably, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but I'd say 20% of the guys even make it, let alone perform well. Yeah, it's a tricky spot for Kevin Adams to be in. And not only from a team building standpoint, but from public relations, he really got skewered uh, for these moves. Um, Let's get into the Taylor Hall trade, and then we'll maybe talk about some of the others. But I think that's really the centerpiece uh, of the angst Uh, regarding all the moves that were made. Taylor Hall had a no-move clause, uh, so really he got to pick his spot. Uh, He was signed for a one-year deal. I said it at the time that it sure looked like a guy who was signed for for trade assets. That's an awful big price to pay for a third-round pick. Uh, and of course it was a package deal and you, you know, you got Lazar and Anders Bjork in that deal, but however it worked out, but the the bills are the bills. See, there I go. The Sabres also have to pay some of Taylor Hall's salary. So it's a very expensive experiment and in which Kevin Adams and the Sabres had zero leverage at the trade deadline to get something done. Yes, that is, that is a true story. I mean, it was back in October uh, when they signed him. It was worth a shot. I mean, Jack Eichel was fed up with losing. His team had been in the, it's been in the bottom half of scoring since 2011. Um, so they needed someone to come in, maybe score. It was worth a shot. Uh, try Taylor Hall next to Jack Eichel, see what happens. Instead, they became possibly the worst team in franchise history. I, a couple times called up this date in 2014 or 2015 and compared that roster to the one the Sabres were using and it'd be a battle with some of those games. So some of those tweets too (laughs) have been my favorite uh, during the season when you bring up the tank versus what's going on this year and just you take a look at it and it really does put into perspective because that team would just kick the shit out of this year's team. It is well, without a doubt. I mean, there was Marcus Felino and like physic, not only physically with Marcus Felino and John Scott, but there was there was guys who actually tried and would score. And this team, yeah, for a while there, it was it was pitiful. I'm sorry I interrupted you there, but I, I wanted to I wanted to praise you for those tweets because I think they've been fantastic. My thanks, and yeah, and obviously those teams uh, those teams probably had better coaching too than the Sabers had this year. Uh, Ralph. <laughs> Ralph didn't make uh, didn't make any top 10 lists. That's for sure. Ralph Kruger. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it was worth a shot to try Taylor Hall. Um, it didn't work. Um, but then the fact that he had the no move clause really tied the Sabres hands. Um, he made it clear that Boston was the place he wanted to go. And all they could get from Boston at that point was a second round pick and a guy who was a healthy scratch. Um, and the strange part, which uh, I did a little poll about, uh, fans who were angry about the trade, what were they most angry about? And the winner of the three choices, the three choices were not getting a first round pick for Taylor Hall, um, getting Anders Bjork and throwing in Curtis Lazar and throwing in Curtis Lazar was the thing that really antagonized people just because he's a bottom six guy who he threw in 10 goals last year. He was, he had five so far this year, but he's only making 800,000. And they throw him in and get a guy making double that who has half the stats. So that was another thing that people didn't uh, take kindly to. What do you think the odds are that they can get Taylor Hall back? Is that even something that 
you think either party would consider? No, I think that, yeah, it, it was, like I said, it was worth a shot, but yeah, it failed miserably from both sides. Um, he's not the player he used to be. Um, that said, he might go and light things up in Boston, but he'll be on the second or third line, which is a different here. He was going to be the top line guy and face the top defenders. And that didn't go well. And in Boston teams will still focus on Bergeron and Marchand and Hall's probably the fifth or sixth best forward on that team is compared to the second best here. So he might get easier matchups and perform a little better, but yeah, he's not the, uh, he's not the guy who won the MVP back in 2018. That's for sure. He's uh, it's, that's the scariest part, not scary personally, but just for Sabres fans, was when there were rumblings that they might still extend Hall rather than trade him. And that would have been just doubling down on a bad mistake, and uh, which this team has shown a history of doing. Um, so that it's a good thing that they didn't sign, re-sign him during the season, and I don't see any future together. No. Maybe this is damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I've seen this sentiment on social media. I have a tendency to agree with it. Uh, if you're going to give Taylor Hall a no trade clause and it gets to the point where you are so out leveraged by any team that he wants to go to, he gets to pick his spot. And maybe there was some sort of gentleman's agreement. Uh, made as part of the deal. But at some point, I think I would admire Kevin Adams if he just said, then you're a saber. And if you're not going to loosen up your, your, your no trade list and make it easier for me to acquire some more things that help this team, then you're going to stay here on this roster and you can, you can play for us on Tuesday night and Thursday night and Saturday and whatever. Um, now he would get destroyed for that also uh, because then he would have gotten nothing for Taylor Hall. But I think there are ways also to let it be known and to get that message out uh, from a public relations standpoint. There are all kinds of people that could report these things, whether it be locally, nationally, however you want to get it out in an artful way and say, you know what, we're done being abused here in the Buffalo Sabres front office. The narrative of Jason Bottrell just getting taken to task over the Ryan O'Reilly trade, how true that was or not, and we've discussed that before, but that is what he's going to be known for as Buffalo Sabres general manager. You know what, that's over. And, you know, our general manager is not to be bullied. And even though he is a first-year guy, he's here and he's going to make a stand. But instead, he looks like he just got bullied. Uh, and ragdolled, quite frankly, at this trade deadline. At least that's the perception. Yeah, there's a there's a case to be made for that. I think if if he wasn't getting an actual NHL player back, there would uh, then maybe he would have even said no. Um, but at least he gets a guy who can play in the top nine on this team at the moment. Um, I think the big reason he didn't do that is he's the first year GM. He's going to have to negotiate with guys again and three months uh, with another free agent class and players talk. Uh, they might say, Hey, this, we don't, we don't go here. This guy might uh, just stick us on a crappy team for the rest of the, the rest of the season if we sign. So there's a case to be made for it. I just think that as the first year guy, he wanted to get a little bit of a reputation as being 
with the players and he was a player. So I think that goes into it as well. I think he, he, he can still put himself in the mind of a player and he knows, yeah, that's, that's just not the right way to treat people. And I think that, I think for him, good, bad, or indifferent what people's are, he, he is a guy who cares about people. Uh, he puts himself in their shoes a lot and he's done really good job of that so far. Um, it's as I've tweeted a few times, it remains to be seen whether he'll be a good GM, but he's got a good hockey mind. So we'll see. How would that benefit the Sabres if he just stuck his ground just to impress Tim Graham? <laughs> I think it would, imp- it would improve the Sabres or it would benefit the Sabres from a sense of we're not here to be taken advantage of anymore. And um, we're not going to overextend ourselves because we're so desperate to give a deficient Taylor Hall. It's known around the league. Um, uh, it was even mentioned by one of the captains that I interviewed for that story that everybody around the league knew that Taylor Hall's got bad wheels, uh, but it, it, the Sabres took a chance. But if I'm going to take a chance on a guy with a one-year deal, then it's incumbent on that player to come and rehabilitate himself on that one-year deal and have a good season. And if not, uh, yeah, I can get a third-round pick and, or I'm sorry, a second and however that works and get Anders Bjork, but. I'm st- they're still paying his salary, so that's even mitigated. Um, I, or I would say that there's got if I'm going to sign somebody to a one-year deal, it, then I get, get to trade you wherever the hell I want. And it's you got to come here and play well enough for a good team to want you, so that way I can maximize my return for you. But if I'm going to sign you to a one-year deal, I mean that's where the, that's where it seems to me that the mistake was made, not not two days ago, but when they signed him to begin with that the no trade clause was something that, that they agreed to on a, on a one-year contract for, uh, for on a team with so many question marks, but that was the Sabres betting on themselves. It's the video of Terry Pagula behind the closed door that John uh, quoted uh, that he's saying, Hey, if we get this guy, we're not trying to win. You know, we're trying to win a cup here. Okay. Well, so they obviously were confident that this guy was a missing piece, but, Uh, And so maybe they say that's where Taylor Hall's agent says, well, if you think he's the missing piece, then put in a no trade clause. Uh, So, yeah, but I don't know. It just. The two during the two calls yesterday, it seemed like Kevin Adams, that was part of the negotiation. The Taylor Hall camp wanted a multi-year deal. Kevin Adams wanted a one-year deal. So in order to get the one-year deal, he had to give up the no, no move clause. That was the way Kevin Adams described it. And listening to Taylor Hall, uh, he knew the Sabres weren't going to make the playoffs. He came right out and said, no one, no one expected us to win the cup. We thought we could hang around the playoff race, but maybe fall short. And he wanted to be in position to go somewhere uh, and get his cup. Well, chase his cup, I should say. And so that was both. Yeah. The hall side really wanted that no move clause. And the, the deal with Buffalo might not have even happened if he didn't have that, which <laughs> looking back would have been okay. What's your thought, John? What's just your opinion, John, on that aspect of it? Getting the no trade clause at the beginning when the when the contract was signed, a one year deal with a no trade clause. What's what's just your general feel on that? I liked the one year deal part. Um, thinking, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of on the signing day. Speaking of signing day, I was at a winery, so <laughs> I do remember that and came had to hurry back and write. But uh, the, uh, the one-year deal was the great move. He was obviously, his stock was down. The Sabres needed someone to make Eichel feel better about the team. Um, 
the no move clause, I didn't think much of it at the time. Um, obviously now it's become a bigger deal and it is something to think a little bit more about. Um, if Taylor I, Hall on this one year deal and a no trade clause has a monster season, he then, I think really the only way it would work out for the Sabres is if they made the playoffs and Taylor Hall didn't have a good year. Because if he has a great season and they even come close to the playoffs, he still now has a brand new, he's a brand new Taylor Hall who can pick from the 30 other 31 other NHL teams and get whatever he wants. Um, or if the Sabre or, or he gets traded. So he really had, I don't, it's seen and and based on his comments, and I didn't catch him, and I know you're paraphrasing there, but was this guy really in love with Buffalo? Was he gonna reset? It seems to me like he was gonna be gone either way. It does. The he, only he thing used. It seems to me that he used Buffalo. That's a that that is how it looks for sure. Um, but if they had just played better, this whole thing would be different. I think. I think Kevin Adams, while, while Taylor Hall may not have thought they were a playoff team, Kevin Adams thought they were closer and would at least contend for one. And for a team that was one year away from setting the NHL record for most playoff misses, he at least had to take a shot at it. Um, it turns out they are going to set that record for playoff misses. But, um, but yeah, here, let me, uh, let me read the exact quote. I thought we would end up maybe flirting with a playoff spot, probably ultimately end up on the outside looking in. I thought we could really build something maybe for the upcoming years. And then around the trade deadline, like I am right now, I'd have to make a decision on if I wanted to stay or go. Obviously if they were in the playoff race, he might've wanted to stay and he, well, he wouldn't have had a choice. The Sabres probably would have kept them if they were in the playoff race. Um, and he obviously decided to go since they were not in the playoff race. So they were maybe going to flirt with the playoffs. Yes. <laughs> no, so that's the no. attitude. I mean, that, and they the, get, the owner of the team says that they they were going to win the cup because yeah. of it. you know they were going to be chasing a cup so is there an argument to be made here that or i guess the question to ask is how did he get a second round pick this guy that you know around the league everybody knows his wheels are falling off um you say he's not even close to the same player he was in 2018 he did not play well and the sabers have no leverage at the trade deadline because they can't shop him around. He can basically pick. So how do you even get a second round pick? How do you even get anything for the guy who is not playing well, doesn't seem to have a tremendous amount of upside unless he's uh, really been dogging it all year and has just been saving it for when he's playing for a good team. I mean, in a way, a second round pick seems like not too bad given all that was stacked against the Sabres here. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all at the moment with Taylor Hall, it's all name recognition. I mean, that's the only thing he's really got going for him because yeah, if you were to take the name away from it and say the Sabres traded someone who had two goals, 19 points and a minus 21 in 37 games, and they got a second round pick for him, people would say, okay, that seems, seems like a good deal. Um, but the fact that it is Taylor Hall, who was the most recognizable name on the market uh, that, that obviously carries some weight. A lot of the reaction in Boston seemed to be like apprehensive about the trade. I mean, of course, you're going to have your fans that are like, oh, yeah, Taylor Hall, like amazing, you know, great. And they make moves like this all the time at the deadline where they, they grab that one piece on a discount and, and try to make a run. But I think there's also 
some people out there that look at the numbers that you just read and say, what the hell is the point of this? So um, think like Tim said, this was a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. I mean, if you hold on to the guy, people are saying, couldn't you get anything? And if you trade him, people are saying that's all you got. But when you can sit there as a fan or as a, an outsider and look at it and say, you know, how little leverage they have because of the no movement clause, you, I, I almost feel like it's a little bit hard to then say, oh, well, that's all you got because the guy sucked this year and they had no, they couldn't shop him around. They couldn't look to a desperate team out West. You know, I know Pierre Lebrun said that they had a better offer, but it wasn't somewhere that Taylor Hall wanted to go. So when you're dealing from such a position of weakness, I don't know, you, you can only expect so much. Yeah. I mean, there's both, both pros and cons sides of Taylor Hall can find numbers that they like. They're like, Oh, he's still getting six chances a game. So he should once, uh, once he gets better luck, he'll improve that 2.3% shooting percentage he has. But then when you go back and look at the things that the chances he did have, he's shooting in the goalie's chest. It's not like he's getting robbed. Um, he's just, he doesn't have the finishing touch that he used to have. I mean, if, if he had a 2.3 shooting percentage and goalies were making dynamite saves against them, that's one thing, but he's firing into their pads, firing right into their chest. It's not like he's getting robbed. So I don't know. Yeah. I think that my, where, where my feelings fall on this and, and I agree with everything that's been said really there, Kevin Adams was in a no win situation, but it's a situation he put himself in. Um, is that I think that I would like to at least come out of this in control, especially if I'm a new general manager and I'm trying to establish something with my team. Um, I'm not here to get bulldozed. Uh, I'm here to run a hockey team. And if this doesn't work well for my team uh, and for our future, then uh, hey, I, I'm, I'm the one in control here and I'm going to keep Curtis Lazar and his $800,000 salary and I'm not going to trade, use Taylor Hall and retain half his salary uh, and take your second round, you know, whatever it is. And then you have to let it be known how, you know, what happened when the, when the, when the natives get restless and are upset that Taylor Hall is still on this team come Tuesday morning, then you have to say, Hey, look, we're not here to get taken advantage of. And, you know, maybe even make a nice, nice Tim Murray sentiment, right? come out and just say, you know, uh, get quoted saying, fuck them or whatever. And then all of then the fans will go, Oh my God, I love this guy. Oh my Lord. He said a curse word and he doesn't take shit from anybody. That's what listeners are saying. And then right everybody buying season like... <laughs> and everybody would be talking about Don Granado as the next head coach of the Buffalo Sabres and Lena Solmark had he been healthy and just wait until we get Jack Eichel back from his upper body injury and everything was actually all right. I, th I think it's kind of funny that there are so many people mentioning the retained salary. It's coming out of Terry Pagula's pockets. People want him to spend money for 14 months now. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> why are people all suddenly mad that he's got to throw out an extra million or two here? Um, I think it's like insult, right? It's like, yeah. and not only that, but they got to pay for it. Yeah. You got to pay for the pleasure of, of getting raked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have the cap space now though, the, 
the fit. I mean, if the, if they were still tight to the cap and it, it mattered whether they were paying this 50% of Paul's salary, then yeah, I'd understand it. But getting rid of Brandon Montour's 3.75 million opens up a lot of cap, opened up a lot of cap space. So they're not tight anymore. They had the room to absorb it and Hey, it's coming out of Terry's pocket. Oh, well. John, what's your sense of both how Kevin Adams has navigated his first season and maybe what he's learned um, because he, as we've, you know, kind of mentioned, he hasn't been perfect, you know, kind of in those negotiations with Taylor Hall at the beginning, probably could have been better. Um, I know you, he's talked about maybe adding to the scouting staff, getting some better people around him, but how do you feel like he's come through given the hand that he was dealt and what do you think he's learned? He's learned that he can't do it by himself. Um, that Bagula's really ham, hamstrung him with just leaving him by himself. Um, the fact that they got rid of they were a team with a with a general manager two assistant general managers uh three people who had the director of scouting in their names and at the end it was kevin adams and uh uh so yeah that was he he and they made him with, fire his boy chuck mendola right before the trade deadline too he didn't even have him to lean on <laughs> uh, that's that's a blessing i would Ralph Kruger. <laughs> yeah and jonah makes a great point no ralph Kruger. I wonder if to say, yeah, what let's, well, let's think about All right. Ralph Kruger had to go. Yeah. But would he have helped at the trade deadline just for the trade deadline aspect of it? Would he have helped? Yeah. Could he, could he have helped in terms of, you know, an extra set of eyes or his thoughts or his, you know, making moves or, you know, given, given extra counsel. I would say no, based on the fact of some of the people he's reportedly was insistent on bringing in, like um, the hall. I that's, that's one. Well, that's one. But um, like I said, that was worth a shot. He probably but, would have been throwing in extra players for like you know what, take this guy too. Like, it would could have been even worse given the way he coached his team. But like for example, Paul Hamilton or WGR, uh, he was available. But he was available and he might have been he could have played fourth line center but no he's uh he's been very adamant that Kruger was the one who was behind the Cody Eakin sign signing he had to have Cody Eakin he really wanted Cody Eakin and obviously Cody Eakin might be the worst player of the past decade uh, as far as numbers go on the Sabres so the fact of Ralph being in the room to think of some players to bring in yeah I don't think that would have gone too well Sean McMorrow technically played a game for the Sabres in the past decade though. That, uh, oh, yeah. that's true. No, 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 no. We'd have to say 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> 15. If you want to go back. Yeah. 15 years, Sean McMorrow. He didn't, he didn't get on the ice. He didn't play him a second in that game, but he did dress sat on the bench in Toronto and stared down uh, Shane Corson or whatever the hell. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, Linus Allmark not getting traded. Your thoughts on that? Good move. Um, hopefully, for the Sabres' sake, they can find a way to resign him. Um, he's a, he's developed into a solid 1A, 1B goalie. Um, you can win any night he's out there. Um, he's definitely – it took him a while. He's 27 now. Um, been in the organization for a while. But he's grown into a reliable NHL goalie. Uh, I don't think he – I don't think he's a guy who can carry to the cup, but he is a guy who, if you get a reliable backup, a nice tandem in there, he's a guy who can get you to the playoffs. Um, so that should be, and should have been 
last summer, their main goal was to get someone alongside Allmark. Um, they need two goalies. And if they had lost him, then they would need two. Now they only got to get one at least. Um, if that's, if they resign him. Um, I think he, yes, I think he can be part of reliable one, two punch. Now they just have to sign him and get that second goalie. Cause as we saw this year, you, Carter Hutton, everyone knew wasn't going to be the answer, but they let him stay. Jonas Johansson was not the answer. Although as Avs fans remind me every single day that he starts, uh, he's doing well in Colorado. Um, but yeah, that's the off season should have been spent last off season, getting two goalies and this off season, it has to, that has to be the, the thing they do. John Warrow was on with us last week saying he was advocating for the Sabres to trade Sam Reinhardt, even though he's, you know, really been their best player this season for the culture reasons. You know, how do you feel about the Sabres not trading Reinhardt, not trading Ristolainen and some of these moves that fans have been calling for a little bit over the years? I, I, I Johnny Dubs actually came up to me the next day and said, hey, I was on Tim Graham show yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about Reinhardt. And, What's with uh, this guy? Wagon. <laughs> A big spot and had to tell his boy about it. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, I'm, I'm on record saying they can. I'm going to see if he's listening right now. I'm going to say the number 31, just a random number just popped in my head. I want to see if John Morrow can come to me and say the number 31. It's like a little (laughs) test. I'm just going to embed in this podcast. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. Oh, that's fine. I'm, I'm all for uh, moving on from Reinhardt. Um, from the Sabres angle. Uh, he's only got one year left before becoming a UFA. Um, he hasn't been part of the solution so far. Uh, he is, I don't remember the exact words I used last time when I was writing for him, but this is a team without an identity and he's, he's a player who shows no emotion. So I agree with, uh, with Johnny Dubs in that aspect. Um, he's a good player. I mean, there's no di- no denying that he can play. He just goes out and plays. And this team needs something more than someone who just goes out and plays. Um, a very uh, yesterday there was a trade um, with someone who's almost identical in numbers to Sam Reinhardt. Uh, the Capitals got uh, right winger Anthony Mantha from Detroit, uh, and they gave up uh, Jacob Rana, Richard Panic, a first round pick, and a second round pick. If you can get uh, two NHL players, a first-round pick, and a second-round pick for Sam Reinhardt, you should do that yesterday. Is there a path forward for this team? I feel like I ask this every um, – feels like a question I've asked every Sabres-related guest since we've been doing this show, but is there a re- reasons for hope, a path forward to Kevin Adams figuring this out in the offseason and not making it another year without the playoffs? That is uh, that's a great question because part of the reason I would move, would have moved on from Reinhardt and Ristolainen at this deadline is next year. I can't see him being a cup contender next year. And that's those guys last year. So you should probably move on now. Um, but since you said that I'm putting together the new depth charts uh, and for my next story, the path forward, it's possible. Um, you look at next season, the possible center. You're next- saying it's possible that we can move, that there's going to be a next year? I mean, that seems a pretty low bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there was relegation in the NHL, there would not have been a next year for the past nine years. So who knows? But, um, but you look at the centers next year, as long as uh, there's no groundbreaking move with Eichel, you'd have Jack Eichel, 
Dylan Cousins, an improving Casey Middlestat, and then R2 Rutzelainen. Um, you have centers of, or I mean, left wingers, Skinner, who there's a lot to be said about Jeff Skinner. Um, but then you have Bjork, who's hoping to be better. Erasmus Asplund is third on the Sabres in goals in about 10 games played. So maybe he's growing into an NHL player. Um, the right side's not, eh, yeah, not good. There's no left defenseman other than Rasmus Dahlin. There's no goalies signed for next year. So is there a path forward? It's going to take a lot of work uh, in order for this team to make an improvement next year. Be careful not to get a Bjork in your Asplund. <laughs> Did you write that down before you said that, it? That's a uh, that is a Rob Lederman esque joke right there. That is Rob Lederman quality. I'm auditioning. You workshop that with with Daisy before we got on the air. <laughs> um, I've distracted myself. I cracked myself up. I'm sorry. Um, we talked about this with, uh, John Morrow, I believe, and whoever the guest was prior to that, but is this dangerous territory we're in right now with the Sabres and Don Granado and Lena Solmark and the fact that they're showing a little spark and the idea that they're doing it without Jack Eichel and just wait for Jack to come back. And that everything is going to be all right. Can I say one thing? I just love how when Tim asks these questions about the Sabres being bad, he gets this twinkle in his eye and he can't <laughs> control the grin on his face. Like There's nothing he loves more than twisting the knife in the Sabres. Twisting the Sabres. No, it's not. It's not the Sabres part of it. It's the fa- – like, if it were the Bills, I mean, if we're talking about signing Terrell Owens – EJ Manuel, it's the this is a Buffalo sports thing. You're you're right, Jonah. There is it it does it, it is because it's just it amusing to me. I thought he but was I just think still we're thinking in about dangerous his joke. territory here. Even as a even if you're you know a Sabres fan, whatever you don't it it, it you you it doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what the general manager and the owner think at this time. And you know that in that front office, there is a feeling that we may have just figured this out. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. But doesn't it certainly feel that way, John? You're from here. You've done, I mean, as a Buffalo sports observer, this is classic, the bill, you know, Jerry Sullivan's great, great phrase, their heroic run to seven and nine. They get hot down the stretch. And it's just enough for Dick Duran to keep his job or just enough uh, for Mike Malarkey to impress uh, the new general manager, Marv Levy, you know, all this shit. I mean, it's just, I just feel it. I feel it that there, that, and then this is a way for Kevin Adams to further put his stamp on for them to also rationalize that we kind of had it even, even, you know, we kind of had it figured out. We just had to get Ralph out of the way. We kind you know, other than that, we, we kind of had it. Uh, and now we, now we, with clarity and uh, an extra year now, here we go. And we're going to add some scouts and we're going to, I just feel, I just feel that this is setting up for everything is going to be just fine. 
I think that's where I, that's where I think we might normally. Yes, that is what would happen. Um, I think, I think listening to Kevin Adams, he knows that this isn't the right team. I think he knows he's got to do stuff. And he was asked about Don Granato yesterday. Um, and what he said was, um, I've always felt Donnie should be part of the coaching search. Uh, this is an amazing opportunity for him to implement how he sees things, but I think it's important to have conversations and think about where we go from here. So I don't think he, I don't think he's got an, even an inside track at keeping the job. I think there is going to be a real coaching search. Um, but I can see where you're, I definitely see where you're going with that because that does usually happen here, but I think there will be a different coach than Don Granato. Um, I think he knows he's going to have to make real moves with this roster in the off season. If he doesn't, then you'd have to wonder if some of the calls were made above him by people who thought Taylor Hall would mean the Stanley cup. Yeah. I just think it would be a sports felony if the Sabres don't have an honest open coaching search. And, you know, this is a, an owner who didn't even have a general manager coaching search when he, when he went from um, what's his face to, to, uh, to Kevin Adams. Why am I blanking on the guy's name? Oh, Jason Botterill. Oh, Jason Bottrell. I like Jason. I, I, I wasn't saying that to be a wise guy. I, I was just, I think a little, a little bit of a brain cramp there. I kept wanting to say um, uh, Tim Murray. I still had the Tim Murray F-bomb on my, on my mind. Um, what else do we want to talk about? I was asked in a uh, live Q&A the other day if the Bagulas do any meddling with the Bills. And I said, well, that's a question to ask in the Bills Q&A. So while we're here, that person might be listening. Matt, do the Bagulas do anything with Brandon Bean or do they just get the hell out of the way? I really don't think that they do. And I think they like to be involved and they like to – you know, for instance, with Josh Allen, you know, the, they were on all the scouting trips. They were on all the, or not all the scouting trips, but they were on all the private workouts with all the quarterbacks. They were involved in those conversations and they were involved when the players came to visit. But I think a lot of it was more from a, hey, let's, let's get to know these guys as people and see who checks our box there because quarterback's a big deal. From a scouting standpoint, everything I've been told is that they just get out of the way and let the and let Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott do their thing. They just like to be involved almost, I think, from like a fan type of perspective in some ways of like Terry Pagula was taking videos of Josh Allen when they had a private workout with him on his cell phone. Um, he had videos of Patrick Mahomes and Mitchell Trubisky from the year before still saved on his phone. Um, and I think Patrick Mahomes is probably a good example of the fact that he doesn't meddle. You know, uh, Tyler Dunn had the big story on just how infatuated Terry Pagula was with Patrick Mahomes, and yet he got out of the way and let Sean McDermott do his thing and trade the pick. Um, so, no, I don't think there's quite as much meddling going on, but there's also a lot more layers for him to – have to cut through like when it's just you and Kevin Adams and a few scouts sitting in a room, like your voice carries a lot more weight when you're sitting in the bills draft room and there's, you know, a deep roster of scouts, um, you know, 
Joe Shane, Dan Morgan, Malik Boyd, Terrence Gray, Dennis Hickey, who used to be a GM, Brian Gain, who used to be a GM. Like it's harder, I think, to have the the confidence and the to be so brash as to he's not that type of personality to I don't think to to be that way. But it's a lot easier to do in hockey. It's more of like a a little boutique franchise they've got going and they've stripped it down to the bare bones and can kind of jump in. So I think they've done a better job of staying out of the way in football. There's so many different layers to it though. They also have more competent people in football. So they're like, you know, they got a guy in hockey that has never done this before and who's, you know, loyal was the big word they used when they hired him right as in we'll do what we say um and i think that might be part of it too yeah Yeah, that's a that's an important part of the dynamic i think matthew that i you know hadn't really thought about but it's it's staring us right in the face is and i've mentioned it a number of times when i talk about the difference between the front offices you have a lot of people in the bills front office who would be employed in the nfl regardless in very high profile jobs, perhaps even as general managers, Kevin Adams would not be a general manager in the NHL, maybe not even an assistant GM, maybe not even a head coach, if not for Terry Pagula. So he knows what he must do to keep his job. Uh, There's a a different, a different um, relationship that you have to negotiate on a day-to-day basis when you're in, when you are in that type of position, as opposed to what Brandon Bean is. I think Terry Pagula knows hockey or let me rephrase that. I think he thinks he knows hockey better than he thinks he knows football because he was like a hockey fan and, you know, the football team makes money, um, but the hockey team is a bit of a passion project. And I think he has more of, more confidence in himself looking at hockey and possibly making decisions than in football, where I think he knows he's a little bit out of his depth. He'll mess around with some numbers. And like I said, loves to see how it all works. He'll watch film, you know, with guy, you know, pop into the office and watch film. And, but he feels like he's learning and soaking in information, whereas he's got a little bit of a passion for hockey and think, I think probably, has a little bit more confidence and nobody there that makes him feel, I would imagine you sit down in that Bill's draft room and you feel a little bit insecure about your football knowledge when Joe Shane and Dan Morgan and Brian Gain and Brandon Bean are batting around football conversations, as opposed to when you walk into the Sabres um, situation where it is so stripped down and you already walk in as Terry Pagula feeling like, I know this game a little bit. I, I you know, I, I love hockey. Um, and then there's nobody really there to tell you no, or there's nobody there to be like, hey, well, this is actually what we're thinking. Um, it's too small a group and not, a, not experienced and qualified enough a group to talk them down in some spots maybe. Yeah, and when you gut the front office the way they did, don't you almost have to chip in a little bit? You can't fire right. the decision makers and then say, you know what, but I don't want anything to do with digging out of this hole. Yeah. I would have liked to have been in the conversation where Kevin Adams went to him and said, Hey, 
uh, I need money to hire an assistant GM. I need my, money to hire a bunch of scouts and a director of scouting. Cause I would have been curious to see if Terry said, no, we got this. Um, he said, no, I don't want a medal. That would be medal. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a weird thing. And that's yeah, why pay I for asked, it yourself. I don't want to be seen as a meddler. <laughs> that's why I asked for, you know, your thoughts on like Kevin Adams and the, the year that he's had figuring this all out. Cause I know you, you mentioned like, Oh, he realizes he can't do it alone. I can't imagine when he started, he was like, Oh, I, I got this. <laughs> True. No, don't give me anybody. Like <laughs> I'm going to do this by myself. Like, it's kind of a weird spot they've gotten to. Isn't where... it almost disrespectful of the role? I mean, this guy was in the NHL for a long time. To think that he could do it. I don't know. I don't help. think he, right. I don't think he thought that. But I think, I guess my point is that it's a weird spot they've arrived at where they're trying to correct a mistake that was easily preventable and really just a, a, a cutting corners thing financially, you know, by making the front office more lean and economic and efficient and whatever, like, and now it's like, Oh, well, we need to get more scouts and assistant general manager. It's like, well, no kidding. Like, <laughs> but you fired all of those people and you did it not for, you could not spin that as a hockey decision when you did it, you couldn't be like, well, I think it would be a lot better if we just had nobody in the front office. Like, I don't think anybody thinks that now, was it a little bloated perhaps? Sure. Like, did it need to be cut back? But it felt like there was some uncertainty about the hockey season happening, what it would look like, how good they would be anyways, and just get by for a year uh, until some revenue starts coming back in and we feel better about hiring people. But um, it felt like, like if that's one of the things they're doing to get back to relevancy and get back to the playoffs, well, then they, you know, shot off their foot and then went to the doctor and said, can you sew this back on? Like you could have just not shot your foot off. Like just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's a weird spot to have walked in a circle and now just end up back saying, Oh, we need a few more scouts and an assistant general manager. Yeah. I mean, I go back to the day he was hired. He had the zoom call with us as soon as he got off. I'm talking as soon as he got off, they instructed him to start calling people and firing them. Because people who got fired that day said it was Kevin Adams who gave him the call. So, I mean, thinking back the day he got hired, he's like, all right, you're welcome. Welcome to the club. Now go fire everybody. I mean, that's just, he started off in a tough spot and he's realized now that uh, that spot was even tougher than he thought it would probably be. Yeah. The question is, I think Kevin Adams probably knew going in that it wasn't going to be easy and probably has learned just how hard it's going to be. And the question will be, how much the Pagulas realize that and are willing to back him up a little bit here and give him a chance because I think you toe the line of wanting to hold Kevin Adams accountable for mistakes that he's made and missteps that he's made while also realizing, and everybody said it at the start that the guy, you know, was kind of, you know, in over his head and, not surrounded by anybody like the combination of hiring somebody who is inexperienced and as tim mentioned maybe doesn't have this job in any other nhl front office or the title below it um and also not surrounding him with experience and, and people is kind of crazy i mean you go you flip it to what they did in football and brandon bean who had other interviews for gm jobs and was being a little bit picky because he was next in line to be Carolina's general manager. And he surrounds himself with guys who have gotten 
who Dennis Hickey, who was a general manager, Brian Gain, who got hired away to be a general manager, Joe Shane, who's gotten interviews, um, Dan Morgan, another guy that's thought to be on that track. You know, these guys that are experienced. And so any hole you could poke in Brandon Bean's resume, he could easily turn and say, oh, I wasn't an area scout. Well, I just hired five guys with a combined 40 years of area scouting experience. Like, I think we'll be all right. Um, so it's almost the opposite approach. They hired an experienced qualified guy and let him surround himself with a deep experienced, talented, qualified staff in hockey. They hired an inexperienced underqualified guy and took away all of his help. So we can picture that bill's draft room, you know, on draft day and you see all those guys uh, and, and anybody who really follows the NFL closely would look into that war room shot and be able to name five or six guys, you know, Oh, you know, that's the former dolphins GM. That's the former Texans GM. That's, you know, Brandon Bean. And you see um, it at pro days but, when people are like, Oh, look at this Dennis Hickey from the bill. Right. There he is. Or, or whoever. Joe Shane. Yeah, what is the Sabres him. draft table going to look like John? Cause that's going to be, you know, a lot of like empty, empty chairs. If, if the Sabres got all the chairs, everybody gets the same number of chairs on that arena floor at the NHL draft, right? Yeah. Now, we didn't have one. It wasn't traditional last year, but this upcoming draft, what's that Sabres table going to look like? It's going to have to look uh, bigger. Um, let's see. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people uh, at the moment. Um, I mean, they're going to have the Zamboni driver. They're going to have well, that uh, the, the the guard who the guy who stands outside the locker room, you know, checking credentials. Chris um, Baker will be in there. Yeah, yeah. Chris <laughs> Baker will have a seat. Um, it'll they be better. Have those videos of the inside the draft room, or, or you know, the inside the Sabers, whatever it was called, um, beyond blue and gold. It was pretty bare bones, pretty empty, and you know that that whole. Tom Askey will be there. <laughs> Yeah, I think their change was uh, their their first move of the of the uh, scouting department, removing Jeremiah Crow from overall director of scouting, just to director of pro scouting was the right move. He seemed uh, he seemed in over his head. If we think Kevin Adams is in over his head and inexperienced, I think that was this is double that problem. I th the first <laughs> the first real moment of Jeremiah Crow in any of the team videos was. Uh, the day they signed Taylor Hall that starts off, there's a picture of the, the countdown clock. It's four minutes till noon. And there's Kevin Adams saying, all right, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. And then all of a sudden, Jeremiah Crow goes, oh, is it noon? And he grabs his phone. All, all of a sudden, it's like he had no clue it was going to be noon anytime soon. So he, he, that was, I think that just kind of summed up how he. Can we stop just, there for a second? Yeah. You're watching that video, and of course, I just saw it because you linked to it in your story a couple of days ago. And I was watching it again. I watched it when it came out, and I thought the same thing: is um, are they doing this because the cameras are there? But I'm thinking to myself, how many other NHL teams are doing this as opposed to actually already having been making these calls for the last hour and a half? <laughs> you know, I know that in the NFL, those those deadlines are always like you roll your eyes at it, but they're sitting there waiting for exactly the trade deadline to start. When Taylor Hall's agent gets the call from Kevin Adams, I wonder, you know, if that was probably call 14. 
for even him. though Kevin, because Kevin Adams waited until the dead, until the thing. Oh, anyways, it just seemed, it seemed to go against what you, all the stories you hear about how sports and deadlines and free agency works. Yeah. That is the tricky part of doing those videos, right? You know, yeah, because you can't blow your team in, or maybe who knows? I don't know. I've well, they seen. well they also work as wonderful, you know, hype mechanisms <laughs> on the bill side when it's like, man, you know, and I, I can't, I cannot really put myself in in the mind of the fan, but you know, it's. You, they do that with the bills and it's like, Oh my God, like Brandon Bean is magic. He's a wizard. You well, see, they used to say that, that about Doug Whaley too. Like look at everything he pulled off. And it's because, you know, you put it together in that. Pa- it's not to say Brandon Bean is not good at what he does. And not oh, you're good, saying not. because that package is so polished, but because everything look, you put dramatic music with it. And it's like, you know, there's the, the meme of Brandon Bean fist pumping with his eyes closed when uh, <laughs> TJ Hawkinson, uh, went, you know, right in front of them and they were able to get Ed Oliver or when they were able to trade up for Cody Ford. And, uh, you know, you release those right after the draft and everybody says, wow, this is amazing. Like what a, what a class they put together. They got everybody they wanted, like so much value. Look at these trades he was pulling off. Look at Joe Shane working the phones. Look at all this, like, and people get fired up and the, that's fine when you're the bills because three years down the road, you know, two years down the road, they're in the AFC championship game and life is good. Did every one of those picks hit a home run? No, but people can still look back on it and be like, look at this competent front office we've got and look at them go to work. Now you put that pretty package together for the Sabres and sure. Right afterwards, when people are Adams saying, I'm going to go down to this office down here. Right. Start shuffling yeah. off. Or, oh wait, <laughs> it's noon. You know, you can go back and look, and then you look, and Terry Pagula is saying this guy could get us to the cup, and it's a nice dramatic soundbite when you're trying to get people fired up at the beginning of a season. But when things go completely sideways, people can go back and look at those, and you've now allowed them a peek behind the curtain, and it's not pretty what's going on back there. As opposed to, I think that's part of why Brandon Bean is very transparent, is because he's like, look, I'm not screwing around I, I know what I'm doing like I've got some talented people in here come take a look around um Sabres might want to be a little bit more mindful about uh, they might want to keep that curtain closed until they're fully dressed <laughs> we sidetracked you John or at least I sidetracked you when I made my my reference of you know Kevin Adams sitting there clicking his pen waiting for four o'clock or 12 o'clock or whatever it was but you were saying you were talking about Jeremiah Crow, and I think you maybe had a checklist you were going to go down with uh-huh. with other people who are going to be sitting at this table. I'm still impressed with that line Matt had about uh, the being fully dressed or what was it? <laughs> that was really good. Uh, <laughs> Just came to me. That was good. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, um, their draft table should be better this year. Uh, Jeremiah Crow, who was in charge of it, is not any longer. Um, so we'll see. I mean. They haven't earned the benefit of the doubt with their drafting before. Some of the same people are back. They're going to have to make some big hires, but I can't imagine any team will be letting their best guys go in the next two months before the next draft. So they're still going to be, I would assume they'll still be shorthanded heading into this draft. They'll have an assistant GM. Uh, Kevin Adams is really close to hiring that person. He said, um, so yeah, it'll still be a small draft table and there's a lot of work to be done in that area. 
Is the savvy think? move if you are a bright, upcoming hockey mind? Because it's going to be difficult to find somebody who's going to be willing to come in and play a subordinate role to Kevin Adams. You know, let's face it. So you're looking at probably at, you know, if somebody with experience, it's got to be a friend, you know, somebody he goes way back with, which, you know, that that's probably the case. But would it be the savvy move if you are an up and coming known commodity to come into Buffalo because you'll be next pretty soon? I don't think this is that I don't think this is high on anyone's list. No, because they've seen they could just fire you at any minute. Um, it's not like this is the place where anyone lasts longer than two years. I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, like you said, if you're trying to get your foot in the door, maybe this is a place to come to. But I would still if I were an assistant GM somewhere and they offered me the GM role of the Sabres, I would stay an assistant GM. I don't know if I would. And I think I'm not alone in that thought, just based on what things, what the way things have gone. Um, you mentioned the subordinate role. I think what they got to do is get a person, technically, a, the president of hockey ops gets a lot of things here, but I think what they really need is a senior advisor, basically. Um, I'm looking at the Florida Panthers right now. They have a new GM, um, but he's got three senior advisors. He's got Rick Dudley, who obviously has got a lifetime of experience. Uh, they got a senior advisor named Paul Fenton, who was a GM for a while. So I think there are people who will take the name senior advisor to the GM and it seems subordinate, but they can get a nice paycheck out of it and really have some say. And I think that's what the Sabres really have to do is get some guys like that who are willing to, to just say, they, hey, I'm just a senior advisor. And I think, I think that's one answer the Sabres uh, need, to, need to go after. John, if you were a deputy sports editor at the Buffalo News and you were offered the GM of the Sabres job, would you take it? <laughs> um, I, first of all, I can't even put myself in that first job anymore. I wouldn't want that. Um, I'd rather be the CGS. I'd rather be the GM of the Sabres than anything at the Buffalo News. But um, uh, anyway. cold open. <laughs> if you were to run a Twitter poll asking folks what who they would rather have run the Sabres draft Kevin Adams or Chris Baker who do you think would win the poll Chris Baker by 90 to 10 at, at least I would think well people would vote for Chris Baker just for you know, just for fun for fun right what if we voted on this here on this panel <laughs> who would win I have, I have faith. I know Chris watches a lot of hockey. Uh, I, I have faith in Bakes. Faith in Bakes. <laughs> Get the hashtag going. I'd be in a position, and I'm saying this, I'm, I'm not being facetious. If this were a few years ago and it were, you know, you know, the Sabres weren't so far removed and they weren't such a mess, but it, it, my belief right now is what the fuck difference would it make? <laughs> yeah well that's kind yeah, of the thought him, yeah like, let them roll the dice be any work hell that's yeah why see what happens at least all these uh all this i that's why i go back to what i said uh, like a couple months ago when it was like oh man you know they've got to wait till the end of the season and do this exhaustive coaching search it's like wouldn't it just be easier if you're just like pick claude julian or bruce boudreau like pick one like 
like just make it a little bit simpler like and that's why i say that about chris because it's like how much worse could it be now i'm not advocating for this because that would really eat into chris's availability on the golf course and you know i don't want that but um i don't know i feel like he could probably do it from the golf course and how much worse could it get we already talked about how much of a crapshoot the draft is beyond the first round anyways I mean, like um, the first 15 picks. It's not even the right. first round, or maybe it's not even that. It's like the first 10 picks. There's sometimes it gets deep and, it, and you have the, we have 13 good players in the draft. Well-versed in video scouting, which is, was the other buzz term, you know, that, mm. that was being passed around. That's, that's what Chris does. I don't know. Faith and Bakes. Uh, and he can consult with me when it comes time to move those guys on one-year deals and no trade clauses. Be like, Chris, you got to stand pat, man. You can't, you, you can't get pushed around. Yeah, this strategy. is the Buffalo Sabres, man. This is the Buffalo Sabres, and we're done getting pushed around here, Chris. <laughs> like, All right, Tim. He's going to call him up and be like, he's staying put. <laughs> Uh, what else do we want to talk about? John, what did you think of WrestleMania? Oh yeah. I was going to ask you guys this. I, I saw such a, these are two of my trusted WrestleMania friends. And I heard nothing, or I saw on social media, a lot of bad things. Okay. There was good and bad. Um, it's hard for me to fully compare Saturday to Sunday just because Saturday I was with a few buddies and we were having a few beers. Sunday I was sitting here waiting to see if anyone was getting traded by myself, not having any beer. So Saturday was more fun from that angle, but thinking back, Saturday was more fun anyway. I mean, the Sasha Banks match uh, was fantastic. Um, and then I fast forward to Sunday. The match I was looking forward to most was The Fiend versus Randy Orton. And it was awful in my opinion. So um, that had its moments, but I had fun. Uh, both nights watching it. I had a little more fun Saturday, but um, yeah, it was fun. I'd do it again. I'd watch it again. You? I like the two nights. I don't know if they're going to keep doing that every year. It's kind of something that they started doing last year with the pandemic, but it had gotten too long and bloated as a seven, eight hour event. So splitting it up into two nights and making it WrestleMania weekend as a fan, I found that to be reinvigorating. It was two different shows instead of one show that's way too long on Sunday night. Yeah, that you're right. I mean, there was it was going past midnight at starting at six and going past midnight. And yeah, one night it was just getting horrible. So yeah, the two nights is fun. It's nice to see fans there again, too. Um, whether that's safe or not, it's a different discussion, but it was fun to see people getting into it and listening to the chants and seeing the guys, uh, the wrestlers work off the fans was fun again. And the fact the first night was headlined by, you know, two black women in the main event. Which And it wasn't done in a forced kind of let's do this because it is, uh, you know, two women or two black women. It was really the two performers that deserve to be in that spot and they delivered. And I just find that interesting because you see the different controversies and missteps that the NCAA has had, that the WNBA, that other women's sports and, you know, different race relation things in our country. It's kind of interesting that WWE of all the companies have really figured this out in an organic way and it's not forced, but that they have this inequality between genders and races and it's not even part of the conversation. It's just accepted that, you know, this is a place of equal opportunity. It hasn't always been that way in wrestling, but it's gotten that way in the last three, four, five years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a great point. Um, yeah. 
that's uh and then I think, and then the other thing about the show itself, there was just a lot of fun surprises. Like I didn't, I've seen Bad Bunny in a Corona commercial, but I didn't know he'd go out there and be doing moves off the top row and legitimate ones too. I mean, he got Canadian Destroyer. <laughs> what was that? The oh, the, the move on the outside. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Pile Driver, the Canadian Destroyer. Yeah, he, that was awesome. I mean, he obviously had help with it, but uh, it was fun. I didn't expect. And people, I was with a few people who know him as a as a performer and they're like, Oh, that, wow. Does he do this all the time? I said, no, that's, that's, what's making it more fun is, is that. What was, how did you have to pay for both nights? What was the, what's the difference between the two versus the one when it comes to how much you have to lay out? It's uh, they used to have the WWE network, which was nine 99 a month. Um, Peacock absorbed that. So if you have Peacock, it's four 99 a month or nine 99 a month without commercials. So if you have a Peacock's Peacock subscription, it's, just included so yeah you can watch wwe every night if you want five bucks and then it is it a pay-per-view also though right i it might be WrestleMania? i don't know that it is anymore yeah i, think. I mean even if it is i mean you'd just sign up for peacock for one month for five bucks and watch it right yeah there's other countries i think maybe canada being one of them where they still do the pay-per-view business but peacock has the exclusive rights to wwe pay-per-views in the u.s at least well, John, thanks for doing this. My pleasure. We went all over the place. There was clearly no uh, no script to follow throughout this. Uh, we were uh, hither and yon in the Buffalo Sabres trade universe. I think we covered it all. Is there a player on the roster we're supposed to mention that we didn't? Not really. Kyle Oposo. He didn't get traded. No, he did not. Um, and we'll see him again next year because the buyout doesn't make sense yet. So, Expansion draft, is that going to get rid of any of these guys? Um, I am in the middle of doing that now. There will, There's a chance they lose a guy like uh, Rasmus Asplund, who we talked about is playing a little better. Uh, there's a chance they – yeah, we. I haven't quite dug into that yet, but uh, that's coming soon. Oh. Come on next week. We'll talk about that. Hudson doing some, uh, always chiming in <laughs> with his thoughts. He's on a 15 podcast streak <laughs> of making an appearance. This is, this is, must be his witching hour. Uh, that we choose All right, guys. Well, thanks for this. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll come back later on in the week with uh, some other mess to talk about, but, at least for this episode, we had John Vogel to steer us through. Thanks, John. My pleasure. And thank you to everyone out there for listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond.